So we, we, we start good and then, oh no, it's him again. And, and, uh, so I can really, I can really turn the crowd into a small group, um, and, and do every year, I guess. I've also decided that since I've gotten so much, uh, flack from my teaching of Romans, we start tonight in Ephesians chapter one. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter one, <laughs> that's just a joke. <laughs> Go back with me to the book of Romans, Paul's great letter to the Roman church. This is our book. (laughs) That is, if you're uh, of my kind of theological persuasion. Now, guys, um, uh, let let me just, I'm not going to read you the the whole chapter tonight as I I normally do. Um, If you will, um, if you'll look with me uh, at verse one, I'll show you what we're in for. In, in the coming weeks, but you'll notice in verse 1 it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, guys, the, the Romans 13 is not only about government, or God and government, but the first seven verses are. And it is, um, it's somewhat uh, controversial in and of itself, just the first, just those seven verses. But the subject is somewhat controversial, particularly in our day. It's a hot topic, you know, uh, You've got the Tea Party uh, roaming around out there, and then you've got the local elections that we just had, which, by the way, uh, you know, both uh, Wayne and David were were elected, which were good things. Then you got fall elections that are upcoming uh, in November, and there's a lot of things going on there. I mean, we're all kind of hot and bothered about that. And and then there's health care that we're all, you know, got opinions on one way or the other. And so it's um, um, it's a it's a big subject uh, today, not just in the Christian church, but all over. And so you'll notice that the first verse introduces us to this governing authorities business. So that's what we're going to talk about for a while. Um, I, I will say that we might be able to get through more than a chapter in this year. We'll see. But um, uh, we, um, uh, towards the end of Romans, things get a little bit less meaty, and so you can go a little bit faster, and, and we'll, we'll try to do that. But Guys, this is a this is a subject of um, uh, that people feel strongly about. Um, now, that said, on top of all of the political nyanyanging that's that's going on, you know, everywhere, um, you or at least many of you apparently were exposed to a sermon, a sermon that was preached on July the fourth by Dr. Charles Stanley. Uh, it was entitled, I forget, it was something like The Rising Tide or Turning the Tide or something like that. I say that many of you uh, uh, were exposed to it because I got four different emails from four different people in this congregation asking me to look at this sermon, to watch this sermon, and one of those emails um, said, in essence, to me, go and do ye likewise. Now, I, I have to admit, it wasn't said quite that nicely. But that was what I was being told. You listen to this, sonny boy, and you go do some of this. Now, um, guys, tonight... As we begin our study of Romans 13, which is on the subject of government, um, at least those first seven verses, I, I wanted to first start off the whole year by addressing that sermon. Now, if you haven't seen it, 
Um, I, I, I would tell you that um, uh, I don't think it's essential for you to go see it um, uh, by Dr. Stanley. Um, but it has a whole lot of people excited. And I thought at least it, it is pertinent to the subject at hand in Romans 13. So I, I thought I needed, well, maybe, maybe I just wanted to. I, I don't know. Um, I, um, I wanted to address it. Um, but I at least want to explain to you why I am not going to go and do likewise. Um, and then next week we'll come back and get more serious about the text itself. Actually, Maybe not next week, maybe the week after that, because we're just going to introduce this whole subject and kind of move into it rather rather slowly. We do everything slowly when it comes to Romans, do we not? Um, but first, let me, let, me, let me hasten to say that um, I, I want you to know that I consider Dr. Charles Stanley a great gift to the Christian church. Um, he has been, he continues to be, if I had one-tenth of the ministry that that brother and the impact that that brother has had, I would die a satisfied man. Um, he has been and continues to be uh, greatly used by God on, in, in, in several different fronts. Um, in addition to having said that, I, if you've seen the sermon, um, I, I want you to know that in terms of the numerous issues that are mentioned in that sermon... I have very little disagreement with the issues in that sermon. Things like taxation and deficit spending and socialism. It, it ends with a call to prayer. I mean, who in the world would uh, go on record as being against a call <coughs> to God's people to pray? I'm not. I, in, in the main, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of the issues, uh, the political positions that are espoused in that sermon, I am... Um, I am a, I'm in pretty much full agreement. I am, I am a political conservative. I have trouble calling myself a Republican because I think the Republicans are just as wicked as the Democrats. Uh, but I am a political conservative. So I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not a, uh, objecting to the, the political stances that were espoused and, and encouraged and supported in that sermon. So I, I want you to know that I have very little problem with um, with the issues. I have uh, I have a great respect for the, the the pastor who promoted those issues. Now, that said, let me tell you where I have my problems, and where I think you should have problems too. I hope to give you some problems, <laughs> but one thing I, I can be assured of: I will give you a little bit of controversy. I will give you something to talk about on the way home. Um, ladies and gentlemen, may I go on record, and I would love an opportunity to say this in a broader audience, but that was a terribly unfortunate misuse and abuse of the pulpit. May I say it again? It was an extraordinary misuse of the pulpit. Gang, in my world, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, an old Puritan. That is, I'm a, one of the... Uh, the uh, Descendants of the Puritans. The Puritans used to call the pulpit the sacred desk. The sacred desk. I, I love that. But let me say with great conviction. That pulpit was not used sacredly on that occasion. 
I'm sure it is the other 51 weeks of the year, but on that occasion, and and it and it alarms me that that uh, there are so many that want me to go and do like that. I will not. I will not. I will not. Because I think it's a violation of um, of the pulpit. And let me let me uh, tell you some of the reasons that I think that. I have several. But uh, first of all, if you if you saw the sermon and and you're welcome to go see it uh, if you like, I mean it's 44 minutes or so, 42 minutes. Um, in the sermon, it, the the tendency within the sermon was to equate the health of America with the health of the kingdom of God. I, you know, I don't know what other word to use, but but America's strength has got to be guarded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, guys, tell me this. What is your real heartbeat? As a believer, what is your real heartbeat? Is it America? Or is it the kingdom of God? Because the purpose of the pulpit is not to provide moral fiber for the state. That is not the intent of the proclamation of any sacred desk. Guys, um, I see what's happening to America like you see what's happening to America, and it nauseates me. But that is not my job. It is not the job of the Christian church even to, to try and reform the state. And, and I'll, I'll explain that more maybe next week. But, um, guys, one of the points that he made was about missions spending. Um, and I forget the percentages that, that were used in the sermon about, you know, so much of the, uh, the missions dollars that are, that are spent around the world come from America. And if, you know, and, and if America collapses, then, then the whole, uh, that whole missions enterprise will be jeopardized. Ladies and gentlemen, that is utterly preposterous. You know, in other settings, we Christians, we talk about God owning the cattle on a thousand hills. But all of a sudden, when it comes to this political morass that we're in, if America quits giving missions dollars, um, that the missions enterprise is somehow going to be blunted and stunted. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this for sure. The God in whom we believe does not need America's dollars. If, if missionary spending is what he needs, he can sell a few of his cows. Or he can raise up another nation who will fund it. Guys, God does not need America's wealth to expand his kingdom and to suggest that if America collapses, the, the, the missions effort will... That is, that is not true. And it has a very low, <coughs> low view of God's almighty power to accomplish his purposes. 
guys, really even worse than that. Tell me, do you believe that that Amer- that that God is limited to American missions and American missionaries to save His people? Of course not, guys. It's the Holy Spirit that saves, and He can do that with or without American missionaries, or with or without American money or without African missionaries, or without Korean missionaries, when he intends to save, he will save. Now, that doesn't that doesn't give us any right to take pause. No, no, no. But folks, to suggest that God is somehow going to be thwarted if America collapses, that, that's just... That, to me, is, is a very low view of who God is and what he does. Now... Is it, is it good for us to invest it? You bet your bippy it is. But, to, if, if, if God wants to raise up Korea to finance missions, He will do it. Guys, um, America's demise, as sad as it would be, um, is in no way connected with the cessation of the advance and the expansion of the kingdom of God. God does not need America. That's why I ask you guys, what is your heartbeat? Is it America? Or is it the kingdom of God? Um, guys, the missions enterprise will go forward. And if we are, um, if we are uh, so lazy that we won't be a part of that, God will raise up somebody else and he will fund it any way he wants. Guys, um, let me show you, this is the same genre. I I usually use this, and I really don't want you to see it because I, I don't want to use names, but, um, I, I, I use this in my systematic theology class. Um, and it's a, it's a thing that Landon Ditto found for me several years ago and um, gave it to the whole staff. Could I read you a little bit of this? I was at Peace Baptist Church in Wilson, North Carolina, and made the statement that for every $48 given to blank, blank ministries, someone will get saved. And did you hear that? For every $48 given to blank, blank ministry, someone will get saved. A couple after the service said to me, why don't you start a soul a month club? We would like to send you $48 a month. Ministry born. Um, don't reach, no, don't reach out to touch someone. Reach out to save someone by helping them to cross, uh, to the cross of the Lord Jesus. Of course, your $48 each month to save a soul is tax deductible. P.S. By the way, with some churches, it costs $100,000 to $300,000 to convert one soul. Now, how did you get that figure? I mean, how did you figure that out, Bob? I guess he's talking about us. That over here at Grace of Van, it costs us between $100,000 and $300,000 to convert one person. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see what a view of salvation that is? Do you see how what a stench that is? 
please make your check to blank blank ministry. Some are giving $96 a month representing a soul for a husband and a wife. Now, this is online, ladies and gentlemen. This is public information. And so, if we can get you to give us $98 a month, we can save somebody. Ladies and gentlemen, is that what you believe about salvation? Do you believe that people are converted like that? Where in that system is the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost to convert? Do you believe that? Then tell me, why would we then believe that if America's mission spendings go down, it's going to cost souls for eternity? No, it's not! And that's, that's not fair to do to God's people. It's just not, it's not right. It's a, it's an abuse of the sacred desk. Let me, one of the couple of things and I'll shut up. Sadly, what I hear in, in, in people who email me and tell me to watch this and yada, 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 and I, I hear it not only there, but I hear it elsewhere, guys, is this longing to save America. Guys, I love America too. I, I was, I was raised with John Wayne war movies, and every time I see a flag waving, I get teary-eyed. I want to stand up and put my hand over my heart. I'm, I, 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 I love this country and would grieve over what, I, I grieve over what is presently happening to her. But ladies and gentlemen, during the Civil War, when I was away, I read three books, and one of the books I read is a, is a book on the Civil War. And um, during the Civil War, both uh, soldiers from both the South and the North wondered if they could substitute patriotism for conversion. That is, they went to their deaths, their, their graves, thinking, if I have died for my country, surely God will take that into, into um, his accounting of me. Ladies and gentlemen, patriotism is a wonderful thing. I'm not making light of it. I, I, I applaud it. I want to be a patriot myself. But patriotism is in no way to be confused with a commitment to Jesus Christ. Guys, what I see happening to America grieves me too. But could it possibly be that God is judging America. Could that, could that be a possibility? Could it be that the real issue is not the homosexuals, it's not the gay agenda, it's not all the abortions, it's us! Do you, do you remember when Katrina hit? And every time there's a, a, a big disaster, somebody goes on TBN or whatever that thing is and says that God is judging Las Vegas because of all the gambling or God is judging New Orleans because of all the, the uh, ladies and gentlemen, you, you show me one hint of that. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, that's not true. Scratch that. But where does judgment, what does the scripture say that judgment always starts in the church among us? Could it possibly be 
that the Christian church is so flabby, so materialistic, so comfortable, that what we're seeing is his judgment on a carnal church. Because is that a possibility? Well, let me just say this. He's done it before. He's done it in the Roman Empire. He's done it in the British Empire. And the Spirit continues to move where the Spirit wills. Now, is the Spirit deserting America? I don't know that. I don't know that. But guys, maybe maybe America is in the way of kingdom expansion. Because I'm telling you, the church of Jesus Christ is sick. Sick, ladies and gentlemen. Sick. And that's saying it nicely. If America is in the way, I hate to have to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, then America must go. Because tell me, what is your heartbeat? America? Patriotism? Or is the kingdom of God the heartbeat of the, of the Christian. Guys, I, I have just as much to lose as anybody in this room. We all do. If America defaults on her $13 trillion debt, you know? But the issue is not protecting my stuff. It's God's glory. What would promote God's Glory. Is it a strong America? Okay, then let's get to it. But I'm not so sure that that's what would promote his glory. Maybe it would be a strong China. I don't know. But I can tell you for sure I know of one thing that will promote his glory. I can promise you this that will promote his glory. Holy living. Holy living on the part of God's people. That will promote His glory. Not conservative living. Not Republican living. But holy living. Holy living as defined by God's Word. Where, for instance, men are called to lead in masculine love where women are cherished and heterosexual marriage is honored and sex, sex is celebrated but only within the confines of marriage. That children are considered a blessing but not God's. And I would suggest to you that that burden for demonstrating a kingdom lifestyle among God's people is placed primarily upon men. Especially young men. Because so much of this culture, ladies and gentlemen, rises and falls depending upon the quality of its men. So, you want a little controversy? There it is. If you want some 
you want some conversations, you know, let them begin. But just remember a couple of things. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, our primary reason for existence is the glory of God, not the saving of America. I hope she's saved. I hope somebody turns this around. But let me let me explain something to you, ladies and gentlemen. The way to turn America around is not via politics. No, ma'am. Politics is always downstream from culture, ladies and gentlemen. Do you understand that? You understand what I mean when it's when I say it's downstream. When you get when you your politics is the result of what's upstream. You know, you pour the poisons in here and it it shows up downstream. Politics is always downstream, ladies and gentlemen. Culture. Culture is upstream. The thing that I want to address is not politics. And I'm telling you, folks, if your hope is fixed on a new administration... You're deceived. For, for a, a couple of reasons, guys. Apart from the regenerated heart, the laws that are passed, whether they be good laws or bad laws, let's just say they're good laws. If a new administration were to pass good laws, apart from a regenerated heart, those good laws will not be obeyed. God's laws are good laws. And they are not obeyed. Apart from regeneration, ladies and gentlemen. Just put new faces in Washington. Politics is downstream. Culture is upstream. How do I address that? I address this. How do I address that? How do I address it? Well, guys... I address it by calling the church to live a holy life. I address it by calling the church to live a transformed life in such a way that God sees fit to use people as broken and as inconsistent as we are to try and speak into this culture. But ladies and gentlemen, when the church gets caught up in the pursuit of political solutions, we are doomed. Can I read you that? This is out of uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse, uh, four, verse 4. You might want to look at this later. Paul says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. Do you, do you, do you hear that? It's profound. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are divine power to destroy strongholds. So how do we go after, how do we go after making a difference? It's not starting downstream, ladies and gentlemen, it's starting upstream. It's starting by addressing with divine power. Not, guys, come back next week. I'm not, I'm not denouncing political involvement in the slightest. Jeremiah 29 says we're supposed to seek the good of the city. We'll talk about that next week. But I'm telling you, if you fix your hope on 
the change of America by thinking that we're going to dump this administration, we're going to sweep out all the dead wood up there. Yes, it's raunchy up there, isn't it? But ladies and gentlemen, apart from the regenerated heart, you're going to put more raunchiness up there. You understand? Do you see that? And so they might pass laws that are more to our liking, you know, that fit our pocketbook better. And I'm telling you, my brother and sister in Christ, some of what we want... See, we want our stuff protected. We don't want to lose any more of our stuff. We don't want any more taxation because we want more of our stuff. And so I ask you, is it possible that what we're seeing is not brought on by the homosexual agenda, which is, which is vile? Could it possibly be that what, what we're experiencing is because the church is playing games? We, we can't wait to get more stuff ourselves, just like them. I, I gotta remind you, ladies and gentlemen, when I say that politics is downstream, that means that the culture produced the politics that you got. So that means, you, you, are you following me? That means that the politics are up, that are up there is a reflection of the culture. That means that they're up there because of us. Because we have, we have so little influenced. So, my premise is an abuse of the pulpit. Because ladies and gentlemen, I will not call you. Do you want to pray for the nation? I think that would be marvelous. I, I, you know, Jesus says, if you ask me anything, pray for our country. Absolutely. Paul says, pray for the leaders. But if you really want to get serious about something, how about let's start with holy living? How about us men, we men, deciding that we are going to live up to the standards that God has called us to as masculine leaders? How about you women finding joy because you are being honored by a group of manly men? How about heterosexual marriage being prized and protected and defended among us? How about our children being put in the right place as blessings? but not God's. How about some of that? That's what I want to call you to, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I think that will change the culture. And then politics, which is downstream, will begin to feel that. Let the conversations begin. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will enable Grace Evan to be a part of a culture change. Um, that we might not find ourselves playing churchy games and, and, um, 
and prolonging the, uh, the foolishness? Would you use the numerous good churches that are in this city to, um, to call God's people back to the joy of holy living and the intent of glorifying you and that alone? Whatever way that is, that takes shape, would you enable us to fix our attention on the great good of pursuing your glory alone? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.